Jesus of Woodley Church is precious. The Bible says he's precious. In 1 Peter 2, 6 through 7, the Bible says, And the scriptures express it. See, I am sending Christ to be the carefully chosen. Here it comes. Precious. Cornerstone of my church. And I will never disappoint those who trust in him. Yes. He is very, here it comes again, precious to you who believe. And to those who reject him, well, the same stone that was rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone. The most honored and important part of the building. In order for something to be precious, it has to have three qualities. The first one of those is rarity. If something is precious, it has to be rare. So let's do a little investigation and let's ask ourselves, is Jesus rare? Now right after I speak, we'll have another preacher come up. We've got three preachers today. Y'all ready for this? We'll find out that the other quality is value and another quality is usefulness. Pastor Jared Grantham will come and He'll talk about Jesus being precious. And Pastor Andy will come and he will talk. And let me share with you this one quality. Is Jesus rare? Is he rare? Does he qualify for being precious according to man's standards? Well, John 3.16 says that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. There's no other like him. The Bible tells us that he is the lily of the valley. Not one among many, but the lily of the valley. It says he is the bright and morning star. He is not one of the fair ones, but the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. The French tell us that Jesus is the unique son of God. He is rare because he is the only man in history who died and then raised himself from the dead. He is rare because he is the only hope of our salvation. Listen to this verse. Acts 4 and 12 says, There is salvation in no one else. Under all heaven there is no other name for men to call upon to save them. One name, the name of Jesus. He is rare in his origin. Where did Jesus come from? Not Bethlehem. John 1 and 1 says, before anything else existed, there was Christ. Before anything else was made, there was Christ with God. He always, he has always been alive and is himself God. He created everything there is. Nothing exists that he didn't make. Eternal life is in him. And this life gives light to all mankind. The Old Testament prophet Habakkuk said that God, Jesus, came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Teman means nothing or nowhere. The reason that God came from nowhere is because there was nowhere for God to come from. And coming from nowhere, he stood on nothing. The reason that he stood on nothing is because there was nowhere for him to stand. And standing on nothing, Jesus reached out where there was nowhere to reach and caught something when there was nothing 
for him to catch and hung something on nothing and told it to stay there. You say, where's all that at in the Bible? I'm so glad you asked. Job 26 and 7 says, God stretches out heaven over empty space and hangs the earth upon nothing. And standing on nothing, he took the hammer of his own wheel and he struck the anvil of his omnipotence and sparks flew therefrom and he caught them on the tips of his fingers and flung them out into space and bedecked the heavens with stars. And nobody said a word. Reason nobody said a word because there wasn't anybody there to say anything. So his daddy said, that's good, son. He was born in Bethlehem. He's the only man ever born who was older than his mother and just as old as his father. He was hid in Egypt, brought up in Nazareth, baptized in Jordan, tempted in the wilderness, performed miracles by the roadside, healed multitudes without medicine, and made no charges for his service. Now that is a health plan. He conquered everything that came up against him. He took himself. His sins upon himself. He took our sins, rather, upon himself. He took yours. He took mine. Marched up Calvary's hill, and there he died in our place. He went down into Sheol after he died and demanded the keys of death and hell back from Satan. He brought them forth out of the tomb with him and uses them today to let men go free and unlock them. There's nobody like my Jesus He's precious, he's rare, he's one of a kind, he's the unique son of God. Welcome Mike Smith to sing for us this morning. sons and daughters did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new this child that you delivered soon deliver you Mary did you know that your baby boy would give sight to the blind man Mary, did you know that your baby boy would come a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy is walk where angels try? And you kissed your little baby, you've kissed the face of God. Oh, Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know the blind will see? 
the death will heal, the dead will live again, the lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the Lamb. Oh Mary, did you know in your baby boy, Lord of all creation, Mary, did you know? Then your baby boy would one day rule the nation. Did you know that your baby boy was heaven's perfect lamb? And the sleeping child you're holding is the great I get to do that much, so I figured I would just, you know, start out that way, even though some of you have already got the privilege of saying good morning. I'm uh, Pastor Jerry Grantham. I'm the youth pastor here at Whitley Church and the bridge. I just want to say it is a privilege and a delight to be with you this morning. You know, we were talking about this whole thing, uh, this service, we were planning and staff meeting. They said, yo, you know that you're only going to have about seven minutes to preach, right? And I was like, seven minutes, you know? Seven minutes. You can't even order at McDonald's in seven minutes, and you want me to preach in seven minutes. So I, I really thought hard about this, how I was going to open up the service uh, and my part, and um, here's what I came up with. In closing, um, <laughs> and if you've heard Pastor Farrell say that, you know that means nothing, right? I want you to think about this morning the most valuable thing that you possess, out of all the things that you own, the thing that you possess, which one has the most monetary value? For some of you and most of us in here, it's probably our house. Some of us who maybe not own a house, it could be our car or it could be um, you know, a boat or something in that aspect. MasterCard came up with uh, commercials that I'm sure most of you are familiar with. Uh, you've heard the, the, the different slogan that we're going to get to in just a second, and uh, I think they're pretty, pretty cool. I found this one that sort of relates to it. I don't know how many of you are baseball fans or Yankees fans, but uh, this kind of relates to uh, the MasterCard commercial. It says, the Yankees' Matsui's three RBIs in the title-clinching game, $13 million. Derek Jeter's .462 World Series batting average, $20 million. A-Rod's 19 hits in 15 playoff games, $32 million. Winning the World Series championship, $201,449,189. There are some things that money can't buy. The World Series is not one of those things. <laughs> MasterCard's quote says this, There are some things that money can't buy. For everything else, there's MasterCard. So for the next six minutes or so, I want to talk to you about something that money cannot buy. It's something that is absolutely priceless. 
Think about the things in life that we get to experience that are priceless, like seeing our baby walk for the very first time and take its steps. I mean, that's priceless. Or, or your child hitting a home run in his first baseball game. You, you know, money can't uh, compare to that experience and seeing how excited he is and you as a parent feeling that joy. Your child first saying to you, Mommy, I love you. Or Daddy, I love you, after they're able to talk. And some of you who have... Most of us probably, maybe I'm not sure what the demographics in here are, but that have been married or if you've had a child that's been married, in that wedding experience, it's priceless and some of you parents feel like that the money will never stop being spent. I know a year ago, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls came to Raleigh and you could actually go and visit and see these artifacts these, that had scriptures that were contained that shepherds found you know, over in the Middle East, and, and you could go and literally see the pieces. And I bet if you went there and said, you know, how much would you take for one of these? They probably couldn't sell you any of these things because they are inv- they're so valuable that you can't put a price tag on something. It's so rare. So this morning I want to talk to you about something that's priceless and rare also, and that's the blood of Jesus. You know, the blood through Genesis all the way through Revelation has such significance. We see in numerous stories how Jesus and how the Old Testament prophets and how the high priest used the blood to mean it symbolizes something. We see that in in Genesis when Cain is there and Abel, the only choice for obtaining salvation for sin was blood. It was offered to the Israelites when they were in Egyptian bondage to dissuade the angel of death from taking their firstborn. It was offered to Moses on Mount Sinai as the seal of the first covenant and the Old Testament high priest as the yearly sacrifice for sins for the needy people. And then countless times we see where people would go and make sacrifice for sin to make things whole. Now listen, I realize that some of you, a lot of us in here, it's hard to talk about blood. It's not one of the things that, you know, it's easy to talk about. Some of you, you know, you can't stand the sight of blood, right? When Red Cross comes around, and we have uh, one of the awesome Red Cross people I see here on the third row here. When the Red Cross comes around, you're like, you know what? If they can figure a way out how to get it out of them without using a needle, I'm good, you know? As long as they ain't got to use a needle, I'm okay. And then some of you, you can't stand the sight of blood. You know, you feel nauseous, and you, like, just want to throw up, and you get sick. And, you know, like, I can't, I can't do blood. I could never be a doctor. But you know what? This morning, when we look at Jesus and what he did for us, we cannot have the cross. We can't have the cross without having the blood. Jesus' death bridged the gap between God's calling and our falling. And in 1 Peter, if you have your Bibles, we're going to have it on the screen. I want you to turn to 1 Peter 1. And and he understood this when he wrote these words. Peter in 1 Peter 1. Uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through 19, says this. And I love how he starts it out. It says, for you know, like we're already supposed to know, for you know that it was not with the perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, Perfect, flawless, matchless, without blemish. 
In other words, your life, the price that you paid, the price that Jesus paid, was not cheap. It's something that can't have a price tag put on it. And we see what Jesus in his life, the different times where blood was a, a factor in, in his death and in his ministry. We see that when they beat the crown of thorns on his head, it says that blood flowed from his brow in Mark chapter 15. And then we see as Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane and, he, and he's sitting there on his knees and he's crying out to God, it says that sweat turned to blood as he prayed. And when Jesus was whipped with the cat of nine tails, the blood streamed and it poured down. And when they plucked the hair out of his beard by the handfuls and they put the nails in his hands and in his feet, the precious, flawless, perfect blood of Jesus flowed down for each and every one of us in here. And then finally, as he hung on the cross and they put the sword in his side, it says that blood and water flowed with every drop, every ounce, every stream fell mercy, every drop fell grace, every pool said forgiveness. You know what's so, this is just so ironic. One of the hardest stains to get out of clothes, you know, is blood. Last night, every time I go out to eat, I spill something on my shirt. My wife carries a Tide pin everywhere we go. But if you've ever gotten blood on your clothes, you know that it's a tough, it's a very tough stain to get out. And most of the time you can't. But isn't that interesting? That the stain, the thing that's hardest to get out is the thing that removes us and cleanses every sin that we have and washes us as white as snow. But I believe that as Christians we're so guilty sometimes of not trusting in the true power of the blood of Jesus God's perfect, priceless gift to you and I. It takes away bitterness. It takes away sin. It takes away hatred. It takes away lust. It takes away all these things if we just trust in it. And he paid the ultimate price. And it flowed from all parts of his body for you and for me. And so before I close, I want to share with you a story. We have this outreach event called First Friday that we meet here once a month. And it's on the first Friday of each month. And it's a, it's a time for the community to come together and, and to hang out and play games and worship. And, and we have altar call and, you know, we do just the whole deal. And a couple of months ago, it was just a, a typical, regular first Friday. The music was pretty good and, you know, we, we had some people down at the altar worshiping. The games were great. Kids were having a good time. But I, if I could summer up what happened at this one event with this MasterCard illustration, here is what it would look like. Pizza, $54. Giveaways and prizes, $35. Concession stand supplies, $123. Having a young girl come up to you outside after the music and say that she wants to become a Christian, can you help? Priceless. Because there's some things that money can't buy. There's some things money can buy, but salvation is not one of those things. So let me just leave you with this. This is a story, and it just really touched me and, and convicted me as I read this. 
It's a story of a couple who got married, and it says, One night in a church service, a young woman felt the tug of God at her heart. She responded to God's call and accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. The young woman had a very rough past involving alcohol and drugs and prostitution, but the change was immediately evident in her. As time went on, she, began, or she became a faithful member of the church. She eventually became involved in the ministry, teaching young children. It was not very long until this faithful young woman had caught the eye and the heart of the pastor's son. The relationship grew, and they began to make wedding plans. This is where the problem began. You see, about one half of the church did not think that the woman with such a past as hers was suitable to date or marry the pastor's son. The church began to argue and fight about this matter. So they decided to have a meeting. As the people made their arguments and tensions increased, the meeting was getting completely out of hand. The young woman became very upset. And all the things that were being brought about her past made her sad. As she began to cry, the pastor's son stood up to speak. He could not bear the pain it was causing his wife to be anymore. And listen to what he says. His statement was this. My fiance's past is not what's on trial here. What you are questioning is the ability of the blood of Jesus to wash away sin. Today, you have put the blood of Jesus on trial. So let me ask you this question. Does it wash away sin or do not? The whole church began to weep as they realized that they had been slandering the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me leave you with this. Do we question the power and the ability of the blood of Jesus? Are we holding record of wrong for things that have happened to us and, and God has forgiven them but we're still holding on? Does judgmentalness come quicker than grace? His blood forgives and washes and makes us whole. And so should we. Father, I pray today that your word that is so true would ring in our minds and that we would realize that your blood, the price that you paid, the ultimate sacrifice for us, we do not need to take it for granted. And we need to see, God, that it is so much more powerful than what we give it credit for. So help us to do that. Help us to forgive, to show mercy, and to show grace the way your son Jesus did. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A teenage girl Much too young Unprepared For what's to come A baby changes everything Not a ring On her head All her dreams And all her plans A baby changes everything 
baby changes everything The man she loves She's never touched How will she Keep his trust A baby changes everything A baby changes everything And she cries Ooh, she cries Ooh, oh, oh. to leave and go far away heaven knows that she can't stay a baby changes everything she can feel it's coming soon there's no place A baby changes everything A baby changes everything And she cries And she cries Ooh, she cries Shepherds Shepherds all gather they gather round. Star shines down. A star shines down. Quiet, you love. Angels sing glory to. Changes everything. A baby changes everything. 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 Hallelujah.
I tell you what, aren't we blessed? God has blessed us with such talented people. And uh, Jesus didn't change this, but I do want to make one quick correction while I'm thinking about it. The, the Christmas play is two weeks from today. It is the 19th and 20th. A ba- Pastor, a baby changed the dates of the Christmas drama. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure everybody knew that. Well, hadn't this been a great day so far? Hadn't it been awesome? Pastor Farrell, Pastor Jared, amen. Uh, It's important that we understand that Jesus is rare and that He is precious and He is valuable. But it is also very important to understand that He is available to you and to me to meet our needs To meet us in that place where we need Him the most. He is there when we call on Him. Diamonds are very precious jewels. And one of the reasons that diamonds are precious is because they're rare. And they're valuable because they're rare. There are very few countries in the world that have diamonds. One of the places that you can find them is in the Union of South Africa. But another reason that diamonds are so valuable and they're so precious is because they are useful. They are useful. An example of this is found uh, in the drill tip that they use for drilling wells for oil. It is only a diamond tip drill bit that can go down deep enough to tap into the resources that we so desperately need and use each and every day. So we find this morning that Jesus... Also like that diamond is not only to be admired, but he is useful. Now I want you to understand something. It's a little different than my son Hunter kind of grasped earlier this month. Uh, Hunter understands that Jesus is useful, but Hunter's been playing some Mario Brothers. And his favorite character is Luigi. And we were actually on our trip at Thanksgiving, and, and we're sitting at a table eating supper on the road, and he looks at me and he says, Dad, I want to change my name. I said, okay. <laughs> he said, I want to change my name to Luigi. <laughs> Luigi Daniel Stovall. I said, well, Hunter, now, you know, I kind of like your name. I like Hunter Daniel. That's a pretty good name, I, you know kind of picked it out, you know, I'd kind of like you to keep it. I don't really think that that's such a good idea. I think you need to keep your name. And he said, well, he said, I want to tell you something, Dad. He said, I talked to Jesus about this thing. (laughs) Promise. He said, I talked to God about this thing, and he said that it was okay. He spoke to me in my brain, and he said... He said, it's okay if you change your name to Luigi. And so I said, okay. He is useful, though. He is useful to the hopeless. Luke chapter 7, the widow of Nain. He interrupts a funeral of a mourning mother who is a widow. And he interrupts that funeral and causes that child to come to life. He is useful to the helpless. Jesus is useful to a man named Blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. 
verses 46 through 52. In this passage, and I won't read it for the sake of time, but in this passage, blind Bartimaeus sees Jesus and he calls out to him and people around him are like, now you need to be quiet. Shh. You need to be quiet. Now if he was trying to change his name to Luigi, I might quiet him down. But he's wanting to receive sight. He says, I need Jesus. And he is desperate for him. And they say, you need to be quiet, Bartimaeus. You need to quiet down. Shh. Hush. And the Bible says in that passage that he cried out all the louder and said, Jesus, Son of God, I need you. There's something you have for me that no one else can provide. And I don't care if they like it or not. I'm going to get your attention. I'm hungry for you. I'm desperate for you. And nothing kept him from Jesus. You may be here today and you may feel helpless. And you may feel like you're in a situation that Maybe if you let some people around you know what was going on, you know, they might not be your friend anymore. But you have chosen to stay in a helpless state because of pride, because of fear of unveiling that thing and saying, Jesus, I I got this thing and I, I cannot... Whip it on my own. I need you. Whether it's coming forward to an altar and praying. Or going to a pastor's office and speaking to them and talking to them. Whatever it is. But going and saying, God, I need you. Jesus is useful to the helpless. He is useful To the horrible, the demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5. And that whole account where he's living in these tombs and they can't even chain him because he breaks the chains that they've bound him with in times past. Nobody wants to be around him. Nobody can control him. Nobody can contain him. So they just put him away out of sight, out of mind. We're not living in tombs, but maybe in our own personal life, we've got stuff that we think is so bad, we'll just push it aside and we'll hide it away and we won't look at it and we won't acknowledge it. But the problem is it affects our family it's affecting our marriage it's affecting the way we parent our children it's affecting us at our job it's affecting every aspect of our life and God is saying come to me not only am I precious and valuable and rare but I am useful if you'll come to me we can deal with this thing I can help you You may be sitting here this morning and saying, well, you know, I've tried and I've tried. I've done everything I can and nothing is working. And it's because you've tried everything. But you haven't let Jesus get his hands on it. 
The people tried everything with this man. But when Jesus touched him, everything changed. He is useful to us at death. The man on the cross in Luke 23, verse 43. The man that was dying on the cross had done all these vile things in his life. And he looked to God and he said, God, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. And he says, today, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in heaven. I don't have to be Billy Graham, Mother Teresa. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you've been in your life, today if you'll look to him, he will receive you. This precious gift given to us by Father God will wrap you in His loving arms and He will forgive you and He will help you. He also helps us in death in giving us the ability to face death with hope. To face death with hope. There are many people today that are facing it Either themselves or with members of their family. They're facing the reality that this body is decaying. And some sooner than later are going to be gone. But we can face that with hope. If we trust Jesus today. He is useful. He is helpful to all of us. If we'll just reach out. And then lastly, he is useful to the hated. The woman at the well in John chapter 4, verse 7 through 14. He goes to this woman and sits down. He's weary from his journey and he looks to her and he says, Can I have a drink of water? And she says, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and you shouldn't be asking me this. And then he begins a conversation with her about this water and about this well. But then he talks about another well. And he talks about living water. That he can provide for her. And he says, if you drink from this well, if you drink this water, you will never thirst again. And springs of eternal life will spring up in you. A woman who had had five husbands and the man she was living with presently was not her own. Read it. Read it. And God said, I can help you. Everybody in this community shuns you. Everybody in this community looks at you with disgust. But I see the diamond in the rough. I see what you can be. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, He can help you. He can forgive you. He can deliver you and He can set you on a path of liberty and freedom in your life. Only 5% of Americans claim no belief in God. 
Only 5%. It's hard to believe when we look at television and we look at media and everything that's around us. But there's only 5%. And I believe one of the reasons is because of the, of the foundation that was laid as this nation was birthed. And we know, I, I think one of the reasons, uh, and I think this is the cause for what I'm about to say, everybody has some kind of belief in God. You know, I've, I believe there's a God. You know, the most wicked, vile people that you know, let them run into the back of somebody's car. They'll be calling on the name of Jesus quick, you know. <laughs> we know to come to God in, in the ICU. We know to come to Him when we are in financial distress. We know that we need to come to Him and seek Him if we've not been doing so when we face infidelity from a spouse. We know to come to Jesus when addiction brings us to the brink. We know that. We do that. We're good at that. But I want to ask you a question. Jesus wants to be our friend. What if we made him our friend more than just on the holidays? More than just at Christmas and Easter. You know there's a name for the Christmas and Easter seeking of Jesus. It's Christers. When we look to him in this time of the year, because, well, that's just what you're supposed to do. We're supposed to look to Him when things are bad. When we hear that a family member's got a month left to live, we know we're supposed to come to Jesus. We're going to get in this altar and we're going to stain it with our tears. But think about this for just a moment. How radically different would our lives be if we looked to Him at all times? When our marriage was in good condition. When we were financially sound. When nobody was in the hospital. Actually, everybody was doing pretty good. Maybe you're preparing for a marathon. I don't know, but I'll watch you, okay? Um, but what if we turned to Him in those times? When things were good. Not just when things were bad. How radically different would our outlook be? And would our life be? I challenge you. I challenge you not to, not to look at what we've said, but get in the Word and look in the mirror of the Word of God and say, God, where am I? Am I just coming to you? Am I responding to you like you are a first responder? When it's tough, I call on Jesus. When the money's low in the bank account, I'm calling on Jesus. Or do I honor you at all times? Do I bring the tithe to the storehouse when there's abundance? When the job's good? And I'm getting a raise this year. I challenge you to do that this morning. He is rare. He is valuable. He is useless. useful. He is matchless, priceless, and Jesus is precious. He is my friend. And this is my king. Do you know him? The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews.
He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent, and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Would you all stand with us? It's been great uh, worshiping with you this morning, and what an awesome video! And I think this is just a perfect he's doing church and this entire world. And God, you know, we give you honor, we give you glory. There's none like you, and we adore you. And 
You know, this is a Christmas song, but it's also a year-round song. It's a song that we can sing together, and, you know, it never changes. It's, it's always fresh, and it's always new. So would you guys sing it with us this morning? Oh, come let us adore Him. Oh, come let us adore Him. Oh, come let us adore Him. for what you do for us. You are matchless. You're perfect. You're precious to us. And we just thank you for all that you give to us so freely, for your mercy, for your grace. And we don't deserve it, God. Not any bit of it. But you give it to us anyway, and we say thank you this morning. We adore you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we just give God praise this morning? Man, what a great service.
What a great service of worship today and the Word. Thank you, Miss Betty Grantham, for, for just kind of laying all this out for us today. And God put this on her heart to do it. And what a great job everybody did. Our pastors um, did such a great job. I would like to point out that I preach shorter than both of them. Just wanted to mention that. Just throw that out there. Um, what a great mess. They, did, they both did a great job, though, and I love them so much. Uh, we're so blessed here at this church. Let me, let me tell you a couple things. Before you leave, if you're our guest, make sure you pick up your gift. Can I tell you that for the first time in the history of this church ever, we are online all over the world. This service has been online today, live, all over the world. So here's what I want you all to do. I want you to turn around and look right in that camera back there. Look right straight in that camera and say this. Say, hello world. hello, world. God bless you. Thanks for coming today. God bless you. Thank you, Dustin. Thank you, buddy. And thanks to uh, Anthony Parrott. Thank you guys for getting us online live. Beautiful. Yeah.